there is no doubt about it that if we see India doing it or the Chinese or whoever continuing to buy enormous amounts of physical silver, there's going to come a point where where are they going to source that physical silver? Well, hello there, my friends. Chris Mark is here with you for Arcadia Economics. And today I'm excited to play part two of my recent call with London Paul of the Sirius Report. In the first part, he talked about all the gold that China has been accumulating and how he sees that actually being put to use in the months and years going forward. And fortunately today, he digs into the silver market, some of the large inflows and outflows we've seen in silver while we're seeing the stockpiles on the LVMA and the COMEX go on the lower side. So excited to get his thoughts on silver and think you'll enjoy what you're going to hear. And with that said, here is London Paul. Something that you have mentioned many times on your podcast is that at some point, the West is drained of metals. And along those lines on the silver side, we've seen, especially in the past two years on the COMEX, a lot of the silver coming out of the registered category, as well as in the LBMA. And you talked about how India has been importing uh, almost 10,000 tons of metal in 2022. Do you have any thoughts on whether we might see similar numbers out of India going forward this year? And will it be in the silver side where eventually the, the stockpile gets too low and there's some sort of break there? Um so I think that's something a lot of people in the metals community have been looking at in the past year and uh, wondering your thoughts on the, the silver equation where we're actually seeing a bit of a drain coming out of the stockpiles in the West. It's a great question. And, it, you know, it's, yeah, everything you've said is correct. We, we made the points and you just made it again about India buying enormous amounts of silver. The Chinese were doing it in 2021 and 2020 when everyone was, flapping about the pandemic and China, everyone thought China's flapping about the pandemic and to some degree they were, but on the side they're going right, there's all these resources that no one seems to want them, we'll just take the lot, so yeah, and you it's interesting you make the point, I mean I don't keep assessing the COMEX and, and, and the changing category status of, of gold and silver, but there are people who do this and they do a great job in doing this. But but yeah, most certainly we're seeing a shift in in those markets. And there's a lot of things that come into play. And ironically, the the war, uh, the, the war in Ukraine is another element of this because the Russians export a lot of metals to the West. And they're now in the process of going, we're not doing that anymore. We're only going to export it to the so-called friendly country. That's going to put further pressure on metals markets in the West. Yeah, we're talking about gold and silver, but there's there's nickel, there's aluminium, there's all you know all all the metals, palladium, platinum, etc. I mean, Russia's the biggest producer of palladium in the world. If they start cutting the West off from palladium, it's it's going to cause problems, and the schism it creates in the broader paper what you know, what I would call paper markets in the West. It might it might be something like palladium that causes the whole thing to implode. It could be I'm not saying it will be, but I'm trying to highlight it's not just gold and silver. There is this head of steam building up where the West is going to suffer shortages. Now the shortages isn't just how it plays out in in the paper metals markets, but it what that will have a broader implication. For Western industry and Western economies. But coming back to your point with regards to silver, I mean, there is no doubt about it that if we see India doing it or the Chinese or whoever continuing to buy enormous amounts of physical silver, there's going to come a point where where are they going to source that physical silver? I mean, it doesn't all necessarily, of course, come from the West. But a lot of it is coming from the West and and, the, and rather like putting enormous pressure on the paper markets with respect to gold. Gold gets all the headlines because sovereign nations, central banks find it. But I know for the last few years, that's been the case with silver. If it continues, it's going to just accelerate the, the day of, of destiny that's awaiting 
the COMEX and the LBMA when they sit there and go, hang on, we we we've got this enormous shortage of physical silver. We only, and it what will will cause the catalyst is going to be a major, either geopolitical, financial event, and then suddenly everyone gets very uncomfortable holding fiat, or they're going to go. Well, yeah, I've, I've had my my gold or silver at uh, the COMEX or whatever, but if I don't go, I want delivery. You know, I really want the, I want the delivery. I mean, the kind of players in the COMEX, they're not retail investors. They may suddenly go, yeah, I want physical delivery. And if there's a, it's like a bank run. If everyone piles into the COMEX and goes, give me my physical metal simultaneously or to a large extent because of an event, they're going to be screwed. And once there's a kind of force majeure in those markets, I mean, we saw it with the Al, Al, Alami and Nickel and the problems it caused, but you can manage, that can multiply it by a factor of, I don't know, five, 10, whatever. The, the ramifications are it's the end of Western paper markets because the, the fallout will be catastrophic. There'll be no trust in those markets if that happens. And we have to stress this. If it happens, okay, we might have a degree of confidence that this is going to happen. But we always have to stress in these situations, well, if this happens, there's no way back for them. So what happens? Do they have to then go for true price discovery? Are they then desperately trying to to, to fill the, the gaps in, in the physical silver, or in this case, or gold they don't have? Or if they go force majeure, going we're settling in, you know, we will just have to settle in, in in fiat currency. This is a disaster. I mean, it, it, people just look at these markets and go, "Hang on a minute, we don't want to touch these markets." Hang on, is there any markets in the world where we can? Oh yeah, <laughs> excuse me, <clears throat> we can. Let's go to China with the Shanghai Gold Exchange or the Silver Exchange. Maybe that's a better option. Or maybe what the the they're doing it in the Middle East or anywhere else in the world, but we're not touching you anymore. So there are a number of factors. I mean, you could have a situation where, I mean, re with all due respect, retail investors, as much as they can keep buying it, and people are buying it, we know this, are they the ones that are going to destroy the, the paper markets? In reality, no. I mean, they can absorb that. Okay, it might reach a situation where they can't. But it's more likely to to be sovereign nations, less so high net worth individuals buying silver, but certainly buying gold. Or the you know like I mean the Indians bought silver. You know there's there's actual a lot of physical demand in retail for silver, but they're also going. Do you know what silver's important as an industrial metal? We need this. So nations might get more and more concerned about their lack of access to physical silver and their need for future industrial production so they're going to be scrambling around the world trying to find physical silver so the retail side yeah it's it's a small but it's it's just the tip of the iceberg and no disrespect to retail investors in physical metals but they're more the tip of the iceberg than than the rest of the iceberg but that tip might get bigger and there's always that point where the physical or the paper markets in the West become unsustainable. And I think last year was an acceleration of that. Are we likely to see it this year? Yes, I think so. To what degree? We don't know. It's only the 5th of January. But there are geopolitical reasons to suggest why nations will want to hoard silver and, and accumulate it. Uh, I I don't focus on the price of silver. I mean, I get people constantly saying, oh, look, silver's up. 50 cents it's up a dollar look in the last few months it's up from 18 dollars to 24 and i'm going i didn't even know because i don't i pay attention at this point in time to, to, to the, the price it's of no concern to me okay that's my perspective when it's interesting to me is when i make the decision and go well now's an advantageous time to sell physical silver or physical gold because then it's better to hold other assets than hold those as, as assets. And at the moment, we're a million miles away from that. But certainly, we will see maybe the next three months. I mean, 
to six months, depending like with silver. Let's just say because a lot of people always like to talk about the silver price. But if silver keeps appreciating in dollar terms, and I'm I'm not saying it will or it won't, but let's just say in three months' time it silver's at thirty dollars, and six months it's at thirty five dollars or forty dollars or whatever, and we see. And for me, what that's telegraphing is the paper markets in the West are struggling with the fact that they can't marry up the paper exposure to physical reality. I when people always go to me, well, you know, you see all these smashes, and we know that the paper markets are smashed. And I always make the point they smash it because they've got a physical shortage problem. They're desperate to smash it, to get, hoping people will bail out, they can plug gaps in, in, in the physical markets. That's why they do it. They don't smash it because the paper price is irrelevant. It's a paper trade. Who cares? I mean, it's just bits of paper. It's the underlying asset that drives the price to be smashed. So the flip side is, though, if that isn't really having the desired effect, and in fact, you keep smashing the price you might encourage the indians to go well i'll just take everything just give me the lot I'll, they'll go to silver miners go i'll just buy off you direct what 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 price are you being offered currently i don't know 20 dollars an ounce i'll give you 21 they'll go i'll take the lot and just ship it straight to the to the indians so there is the flip side to that that smashing the price just creates even more physical shortages so there was always going to be that definitely there's an argument with her now, but maybe you know, we, we don't know definitively that those physical shortages, I mean, you can't keep smashing the price. You're just encouraging more and more people to suck up the physical uh, silver in the market. So then they have to do the reverse, which says, and if this is what happens, that, well, we just have to keep walking the price up, nor allowing it to move and start to display some real price discovery, but only notionally speaking. And maybe we'll suck some sellers. Maybe people will go, well, I've got 20% on my silver. I'll cash it out. <clears throat> and then we start to accumulate more physical metal. There could be elements of the, that in their thinking. But if this persists, it suggests to me a recognition that there are shortages. We're not going to be able to smash the price anymore. And it starts to reflect that maybe the shift is moving in such a way that what's been going on for years is no longer sustainable. So that for me is more interesting in what the price does in the short term and maybe gives us an indication that the paper markets aren't sustainable the way they have been from their perspective. And it might be, you know, it might not happen. But again, eventually it's going to happen. There's going to come a point where... Physical shortages are going to come about in the gold and silver markets, and true price discovery in the West will have to happen. And we know why we don't. Because if gold was $2,500 an ounce tomorrow, you would see the biggest move of high net individuals going, there's no confidence in the dollar, get out of it, buy, net, buy gold. And correspondingly, if you see a shift in the price of gold, you're going to see a shift in the price of silver because it's not like silver's going to stay that price. There, there is also the ramifications, and it's not. I'm very unclear as time goes by as to all these short positions. What does it mean in reality? There's the idea that institutions hold massive amounts of physical silver in the West. I'm not entirely sure that's the case anymore. Uh, but but the point is, you're going to see this corresponding rise in, in the silver price because the so and that causes problems potentially in paper markets as well because we don't know in reality for every physical ounce of silver how much paper in reality exists. Right. That's it, and that could pose huge problems. And who has huge exposure to that? What might that do to those institutions? Potentially, does that creates a contagion effect that then starts spreading in the Western financial system. Is it possible? Yes, it is possible. So 
if you suppress the price of gold, you suppress the price of silver, and you make high net worth individuals go, no, I don't need, I don't need gold. Look, everything's fine. The Dow's at this. What's the problem? Yeah, the bond market's had a bit of a crater, but you know, we're all going to get back to normal because the Fed's going to raise interest rates and, and magically everything will be normalized and we'll all look in the future and go, wow, that was a bit of a weird time, but everything's back to normal. That's the kind of crazy mentality that exists in the West. So whereas retail investors are going, think gold's dirt cheap at this price, they're all going, I wouldn't touch it with a barge pole. But maybe when retail investors go, well, I wouldn't pay, I wouldn't buy gold at this price now. I think it's overpriced. That's when the big guns pile in and go, we want this because their perspective is all about confidence in the dollar, the Western financial system. And whereas we see the reality of it, they look at very crude metrics that go, no, I think it's all right. So that's the basis of why price suppression has been in place. But the argument can be if there's enough physical demand, then they're going to struggle. And this may be why through in, during the sort of pandemic years, we saw gold go over $2,000 an ounce. It was because there was a lot of physical demand. There was a lot of uncertainty in people's eyes. So high net worth individuals were starting by. So then it becomes, we can't smash the price because they'll just buy more and more. So we're going to have to let the price go. And then eventually things kind of, notionally normalized they went okay now we can knock it back and we can take it back from two thousand dollars an ounce to whatever and but again that was yes there were risks there were fears but if we're talking about a major financial event that which which is on the cards at some point then then all bets are off it'd be a very very different situation and, and then maybe very rapidly price discovery will have to happen, but the, the problem still comes back to, to the issue. How much physical metal do the COMEX, the LBMA hold in relation to the contracts that are out there? And data, I don't care what data says on a piece of paper. My, my, my attitude is what is it in reality? How does it actually play out? Does anyone really know? I'm, I'm, I mean, the data gives us some indication, and it certainly gives us an indication that there isn't for every one contract, not that it works this way, but one contract was an ounce. There's certainly not an ounce of physical silver and gold backing every one ounce contract in inverted commas because we know it's not one ounce, but people understand what I'm saying. We know that's not the case. It's when does the tipping point come when this is totally unsustainable, and do they have to let the brakes off? If they let the brakes off, and then then it might it might make the problem even worse. But it's like, you know, ironically, it sort of mirrors the problems the Fed had. They can let interest rates rise and blow everything up, or they can smash interest rates and let everything blow up because then we're going to be back into the the whole QE to infinity because they have to do that so they can either destroy everything by raising interest rates because the whole West is predicated on cheap credit, and that's the only thing that keeps everything going, or printed money. But if you make that unsustainable, you're going to destroy everything. The flip side is, oh, yeah, we're going to have to smash interest rates, and we're going to have to pump QE to infinity, and it's all going to end up in Main Street. It's going to create more inflation pressure, so we'll blow everything up that way. And in essence, the COMEX for me and the LBMA, I kind of last year looked at it when it almost feels like they're now stuck between the, the proverbial rock rocks. Do they let the price go a bit? But what ramifications? Do they try to suppress the price? But is that actually beneficial? And I, did, and I don't think either scenario is. So they're stuck there going, what do we do? We've got this very narrow window. We've got to manage, you know, our you know our client base. We've got to manage the expectation they may demand huge amounts of physical metal, and if we can't supply that for whatever reason, 
then our credibility is destroyed. And, and that will then set off a whole bunch of questions going, hang on a minute. If this is a problem in the gold and silver markets, where else is it a problem? And and it's and it, there's a broader implications for this. And I think we're in that window of time. I think we're moving a lot closer to the point where the Western paper markets are unsustainable. Does it happen in 2023? Maybe. It could happen. I'll put it this way, and this isn't a cop-out. For me, it can happen any week going forward. That doesn't mean it happens next week. But we're in that window of uh, where it's very unpredictable. There are many moving parts geopolitically, economically, financially, can tip things. And, and therefore, when there's many sort of spinning plates in motion, it only takes one to stop. They take their off it, and the whole lot comes down. So we are in that window. Now, that window could last months. I don't think it'll last years, but I don't. This is why I don't care what the price is. If silver goes to $50 an ounce tomorrow, which it won't, but if it did, I'm not going to go, there's the breakout for silver. I want to know what's caused that to go to $50 an ounce. What's what's the trigger for that? Or if you know, if gold goes to to two and a half thousand dollars an ounce, what caused it? What was the trigger? Does that make the in dollar terms how we're pricing it? Is this sustainable? And that's because we've had false dawns before, where people have gone, oh, it's hit thirty dollars in the last couple of years during the pandemic. Oh. This is the magic breakout. It doesn't happen. And I've gone, no. It happens when the West is drained of physical metal. Is the West drained at this point? No. But we are, it is a process and we're gradually getting there and we're moving closer and closer. And there's every indication that this year will be the same. It will just be this ongoing grind towards when the paper markets become unsustainable. And, and and there's going to be at some point a situation with be huge demand for gold based on what we understand is happening in the global south. Silver is an industrial metal as well. And it's inevitable there's going to be enormous demand. I think you'll see in, in the coming years huge demand for silver for industrial purposes in the global south nations. So it's it's obvious that that demand is going to increase. It's not going to decrease. So the question is, at what point does the West go, we can't sustain the price in dollar terms? Or there might be the argument that the world moves away and goes, we're not, we're not interested in trading in these markets anymore. Why don't you come and trade in our markets? We've got 50 of them in, in the global south. Uh, these are far better because we guarantee that for every ounce contract is backed by an ounce of metal. And people in the world are going to go, well, actually, we don't really care what the West does. Who cares what it's priced in dollar terms? It doesn't really matter because there's these markets and you can come and trade in those markets. No problem. It doesn't matter whether you're in the West or not. So things can become redundant and obsolete and there are people in the West looking, hang on, this may also be a problem. So they've got a lot of different things playing in there out from their perspective and it's like anything there comes a point where you can get away with it for so long like they've done with the western financial system i mean i mean to be honest they've they've got away with it for 40 years since the financialization of economies we've had problems along the way the dot-com bubble 2008 we had problems in 19 we had problems in 2020 We've had problems along the way. I mean, look at the UK. There was a big problem with UK pensions. I mean, the Bank of England had to intervene to prevent them all blowing up, which would have caused a huge contagion problem. So, but there comes a point you can't keep doing this. I mean, it becomes completely unsustainable. And by, by extension, you would include gold and silver markets in that regard. So, it's just a matter of when, not if, but people get very impatient. And for me, my my basis of holding those assets are, it's very simple. It's a bet against every eventuality. 
and it's what is its purchasing power in the future. Bear in mind that financial assets in paper terms are nonsense. I mean, everything's massively overvalued. Uh, and, and, and therefore, the point at time when you want to say, well, actually, financial assets are worth buying now because they're value for money. That's when the purchasing power comes in. And I mentioned this with Andrew as well. And, and I'll reiterate it. And I think I've said it before with you, Chris. But let's just choose a really simple example. You want to go and buy a house. Okay, it does, it's just for mathematical terms. That's not, so I get people going, but you can't buy a house at that price. No, that's not the point. Okay, let's say you currently want to go and buy a house for $300,000. Right. And let's just say for argument's sake, an ounce of gold to $2,000 an ounce. So 150 ounces of gold will buy you a house. Now, we know those that, that asset is massively overvalued in dollar terms. It's ridiculous. So what should it be worth? Half of what it is, realistically. I mean, in the Japanese, when their their real estate market, they lost 80% of value. This is saying it will happen, but let's just say it's half of what it is. So let's say in reality, it should be 150,000. Maybe in the world where we pay Chinese dollars, it'll actually be 80,000. But let's just say it's 150,000. Right. And then we look at the price of gold. And at that point, gold in dollar terms is valued, let's just say $5,000 an ounce. I have to be careful because then people go, are you giving us secret hints about where the price of gold is going? No, I'm not. So, okay, if it's 5,000, then you're purchased. Then I sit there going, do you know what? I'm getting out of gold there because I can go buy that asset for 30 ounces of gold, not 150. That's why you hold precious metals. It's purchasing power. It's protecting the wealth. So no matter what happens, you know in the future you're going to be able to transfer <clears throat> those gold and silver coins or bars or whatever it is into tangible assets that you know are priced fairly. Or you know, maybe there's a point when they're underpriced because there's going to be this bouncer and a correction and it always overcorrects until it hits the mean or the equilibrium. And it's as simple as that. So for me, I just sit there, wait for that day when it happens and go, that's what I'm looking at. Okay, I'm not here to worry about, well, gold's gone down $100 an ounce. I mean, it got down, what was it, 16, 20? I don't know, not that long ago. Yeah. I don't care. You know, I'm not, it's not, that's not why I buy it. I'm not worried about it in fiat terms. This is just this transient phase. We know in reality, gold and silver are underpriced in dollar terms. Absolutely. We know the dollar's a matter of national security. So it's an imperative that it doesn't go to two and a half thousand or whatever dollars an ounce because then everyone piles in and then it's a five thousand dollars an ounce and then the world's going who wants to hold dollars anymore nobody even the europeans are going to go forget it we don't want dollars no one will want dollars the united states is desperate for the world to continue embracing the dollar for for all the reasons we've seen in history it's this again it's very simple so the question is, as I say, I'm not worried about when it happens, but at some point it will happen. It's just, I think the problem is people got a bit impatient. There was an expectation, you know, when we had the pandemic, everything would blow up. I mean, the big key thing that actually helps gold and silver in that regard was when they changed all the inflation in, in financial assets, which... Asset, these asset bubbles are everywhere. Suddenly they went, hang on, the world's going to blow up. Everyone's going to not have a job. You're going to massive unemployment society. Just give them everything. Just throw everything at this. And the, all these trillions of dollars ended up in, in Main Street. That was their worst nightmare. And I made the point at the start of the pandemic, this is the worst thing that could have ever happened to the Western financial system because once it gets into Main Street, then you're going to see inflation. While you keep it in these bubbles in the financial system, it doesn't impact the real economy. Now it's in the real economy and you're never going to get rid of it out of the real economy. 
So this was a huge turning point of why suddenly gold and silver became more interesting. The time scales of when the paper markets would capitulate were dramatically reduced. And but it does it comes back to the point. Someone asked me about gold and silver in 2013. I went, when the West strained of metal will get true price discovery. Until then, there'll be a lot of things going on. The price, people will think we're off to the moon this week or next month, but it won't happen. It will happen then, and I've always stood by that. And I, and I believe it more than I've ever believed it, but it's patience. But at the end of the day, if you know the house is going to burn down, you have your insurance. You're not screaming, pay out my insurance because the ha- but you, you don't want the house in reality to burn down. But in this case, we know the house is burning down. So we have the insurance policy and we're waiting for the day when we need to, to say, okay, here's my insurance policy. I can cash this in. That will enormously benefit me. That's, and that's for me is fundamentally the, the problem. It's like I'm using an analogy, but people want to burn the house down so they can get the payout. Well, be careful as well what you wish for. I mean, at some point, true price discovery is happening, but if everything blows up in a financial sense in the West, we may see a situation where gold goes to a ridiculous price in dollar terms, but that's not a point to sell it because and I've used a crude analogy. If gold was $100,000 an ounce, there'd be some major serious problem. You might find a loaf of bread cost you $1,000 because everything's completely blown up. You wouldn't want to sell your physical gold, even though it's at an all-time high price in dollar terms, because it's telling you there are serious problems and you don't want to be selling at that point. So it's not the price. It's understanding, as I said, the point between when do financial assets or tangible assets when are they fairly priced when do i think i want to go buy these assets when do i want to go buy whatever it might be that's the time when and it's purchasing power and that's when i think people will reap the the benefits so yeah i understand why people get frustrated for sure but you know, you you take the insurance policy out. The house is three quarters burned down, and you can still buy the insurance policy very cheaply. Be grateful for that, yeah. because really, this will only come to fruition when these things are in in play. That means that the West is completely unsustainable, and when that's in play, then then you know, then it's a totally different world we live in. And you'll be grateful for the fact you have got some insurance policy. And for those people who think gold's a barbarous relic or why would you want to hold these assets at some point, they're going to have a realization. Well, if the fiat world's blowing up, what am I going to invest in? What do I do? What, how, what, what do I put my money in? Oh, hang on. Oh, and now I want. And that's the thing, that's where the bank run happens, where everyone piles in and wants, wants precious metals. Well, not everyone, but increasing numbers of people. And then we're back to creating the shortages and, and how then that becomes unsustainable for paper markets. So I don't see anything to change my mind. If I suddenly change my mind, I'll say, okay, I don't think that's the case anymore. But over the years, it's just become increasingly apparent that that's always been the case. So you know, it seems contrary to people's perception, but smashing the price of the paper price of gold and silver is because there are physical shortages in parts of the market where so let's use an example. I'm not saying it happens, but let's imagine a scenario where some high net worth individual has got, I don't know, gold in the comments huge amount of gold and goes do you know what I've had a vault built I want to, I want it at home give me my physical gold and they're scratching around going how the hell do we do this hang on we need to we need some way of getting hold of physical gold 
Okay, well, let's smash the price. Maybe that'll help. Maybe that'll shift a few people out of the, the market. Maybe that'll reduce the, the the liability that we're suffering between paper and physical markets. Maybe it'll free up some physical. Maybe we can get our hands on some physical. I'm using it. Okay, it's a bit of a simplistic example, but it gives an indication why they would do that. And I think that's very much the case that these kind of things happen. So but the next three to six months, I think if we continue to see a sensible sustained rise, not stupid spikes in gold and silver prices, it might be more and more of an indication that the paper markets in the West are having to, 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 to play the markets in a way that we know it should be, rather than what we've seen for years. And I think that really is is the bottom line to this. So who knows? In three to six months, we might be going, hang on, well, what we've discussed now has come to pass. And these are the reasons why. And uh, and But we all want to see true price discovery in all markets. But let's be honest, there is no true price discovery in any financial asset class anywhere in the Western world. It's all complete nonsense. It doesn't matter whether it's equities, bonds it doesn't matter whether it's commodities and every it doesn't matter whether it's two flies crawling up the wall and who's going to reach the top first it's all nonsense so i, I kind of laugh when people constantly quote economic data like it's reality or some financial data well oh look this is there's no support for gold currently look the price has fallen a hundred dollars in the last week it's it's just irrelevant I mean, as people haven't learned by now that the entire financial system and, and all the markets that there and everything that that encompasses in the West is a gigantic lie. I don't know when they're going to it. And this is, I'm sorry, but this is just reality. We, we need to stop looking at these markets and going, that bears some resemblance to reality. We know inflation is massively higher. We know the unemployment rate in, in Western nations is far higher. You know, we know that they're constantly trying to, to to suppress the yield curve and try and manage the bond markets. But they failed to do that spectacularly in 2022 because they just, that, and that's the point that gets to the point they can't control it. And it's the same with equities. Just look at companies who are valued at X when we know their true value is X minus 90% or 80% because the fundamentals don't stack up. So, the illusion will give way to reality. And I said this in 2021 and 2020, that the pandemic would see illusion give way to reality. And gradually, we, we, we're seeing that more and more. And, and it seems like it's slow, but for me, the changes on a monthly basis we're seeing globally in, in history, a change in a month would have taken a decade. We are seeing probably last year changes that would have taken 50 years and are all happening so rapidly. And it will be the same for the unhinging of the Western financial system because they can't just keep doing what they're doing now because, you know, Pandora's box is open and the genie's out the bottle. It's in the real world and they can't not contain something. It's in the real world. Because the problems they've tried to mask are you can't just magically shove them back in a bottle and they're not in the real world anymore. Nothing's going to change the fact the West needs cheap energy. Who's going to give it cheap energy apart from the Russians and the Iranians? No one. So without cheap energy, what's going to happen to the West? Everything is going to continue to cost infinitely more than it used to. We become less and less productive. We have more and more price inflation. And as you gut economies and you destroy the very essence of nations, what are they going to do? Are they going to go, hang on, there's millions of people unemployed. There's millions of people who can't pay their bills. And they've already tried to bail people out to some extent. How do we finance this? Well, we can't. No one's going to buy. Hello, China, Russia. You're going to buy our bonds. No, go away. So they have to finance it with printed money. So just it's this spiraling effect. How do you normalize things in the world we live in now? 
is imp- I, I don't know. Now, maybe there's, there's someone out there who's worked all this out, but there is nothing in to, than any indication to me that we can resolve this by by magically doing something that makes all these problems disappear because whatever they do or try to do, at some point, the true asset prices have to reach the mean. I've said GDP has to reach the mean. GDP is massively overspecced in the way. The US GDP is 50% lower at least, maybe even less. Asset prices, some cases they're 90%, 80%, whatever too high. Imagine the mean of those two. Where, where do they sit? This is unprecedented, and that has to be come to pass, and it will come to pass. And they can keep bailing things out to deny that reality, but the more they do this, the more it involves money printing, financial chicanery, which is just making the entire system more and more unsustainable. And hence, we've gone full circle back to what do you do in those situations to protect yourself against all the things we've discussed? You have to own tangible assets. And realistically, you have to hold real money. What's real money? It's gold and silver. Yeah, I mean, you laid it out pretty clearly. And I don't know if uh, another 100 basis points in Fed rate hikes is really going to solve all this. Like, the fed and wall street is suggesting and again in terms of what you said on silver that's why i find it's a particularly interesting time right now because we actually did see these reports of record deficit last year at the same time we're seeing these stockpiles get lower so certainly will be interesting to see if that trend continues this year and um Again, I like like you said, want to be careful to put dates and timelines on some of these things. But I agree with what you're saying. Of you know, if it had if something did happen in three or six months, wouldn't be surprised. Um, I guess the whole situation has gone on longer than many of us would have expected. But now uh, seeing some of those effects actually in the reports of the inventory and stockpiles that are out there so similar to what you described earlier about a lot of these geopolitical trends that you know people were talking about it for a while but now we see it actually manifesting does feel like the same in gold and especially silver so paul i appreciate everything that you shared there again breaking this down in a way people can understand and perhaps not the easiest times to digest all of this news but um perhaps before we wrap up you could just let folks know about your podcast and the website where you do this a couple of times per week, uh, which comes out to five episodes, uh, a couple of double episodes and a single one. But you just let folks know where they could find you. So if they'd like to stay up to date and in touch with the things you're doing, that they could do so. Well, thanks, Chris, for mentioning that. Yeah, we, we've been doing this started in 2016. Yeah, we do five a week, but sometimes I caught I don't do five single episodes because some episodes, we normally do 20 minutes roughly per episode, so 40 minutes or two. And sometimes you do, and often I'll go, hang on, because these bits that all pull together, if I just stop at 20 minutes, it's ridiculous. Just keep going and do two. So, so yeah, we do five a week. We're over 1,600 episodes. And we actually had someone last year who went back, who subscribed, and went back to the very, listen to every single episode. <laughs> Which, I, I mean, was just, I went, did you go insane? I mean, but but so we deal with all the geopolitical stuff, all the economic financial stuff, tracking the progress of multipolarity and what I call the demise of unipolarity. And it's $4.75 a month. We've It's the same price as it's always been. And if you subscribe for a year, you get a month free. And we think it's very good value for money. And... We keep it cheap because we put a lot of effort in. We're not going to do it for nothing. If we could monetize what we do on YouTube, whatever we do, but we're constantly blocked. We can't monetize anything. Uh, So we keep it affordable. And yeah, of course, we like people to subscribe to what we do and support what we're doing. But it's very intense. We don't waste words. It's very much dealing with 
all manner of points and we try to to explain the significance of it and why we're discussing at this point in time and our track record i think it's been very good in explaining why saudi would be a vassal you know would cease to be a vassal state to the west and be and rotate eastern we predicted the repo crisis in january of the year and it happened in september so it's things like that so we're always trying to understand I mean, the geopolitics for me is I, is something I got interested and in, involved in 15 years ago. The financial stuff's really my bread and butter, but I try to avoid ridiculous amounts of complexity in that and try to keep it simple because I think too often, and the FinTwit world's guilty of this, they, they write things in ways that no human being understands. I sometimes wonder if they understand what they're saying. But not all of them, obviously. So we do cover that, and we try to to emphasize key things and what's going on in the West and why this is significant. It's like the problem with the pensions crisis in the UK. I mentioned it two or three months before it happened, saying this is a big red flag, this could go bust. And three months later, it went bust. So effectively, in the go, obviously, the Bank of England had to come in and, and bail out the pension funds or to prevent them collapsing. So, and that could have been a serious contagion problem. So it's understanding things like that, that, and there are many things that are playing out simultaneously all the time. This is why people are going, well, what's going to cause the collapse of the Western financial system in inverted commas? There's, there's so many factors to this. There's geopolitical factors happening thousands of miles away that, having a serious impact on the West now. So it's not one thing, it's many things. And and that's what we do. And we actually did last year, I mentioned this on the last podcast before, or the holiday period as people, or Christmas, whatever people refer to it, we normally, effectively, we did 276 podcasts. So you got more than five a week for the entire 52 weeks. But sometimes there's so much to discuss that, it's like now I've got maybe two or three weeks worth of podcast material and I'm going, well, I can't put it all out because something huge might happen, but I'm gradually going to phase it out. And, and even when we sort of notion you didn't do podcasts over Christmas, I was still looking at things, composing some thoughts, ideas about things, seeing some things that tie a lot of things together. And I wasn't working all the time, but there was things, and I went, "Oh, that's interesting, right?" Park that, get, and then, and then, obviously, this week we started to pull this together. So there's always huge amounts of stuff. There's a lot of stuff that we can't discuss because we just don't have the time. Or I think people would go nuts if we gave them four or five hours a week of stuff. But the, in principle, we could. But there's too much work to do that anyway. But my point about this is there is huge amounts of things going on globally that are all relevant to where we are. And some of them may seem innocuous and irrelevant, but it's like what, what we've seen is sad, going to have a meeting with Erdogan. This is enormous. This is absolutely huge in the context of the Syrian war that's been ongoing over a decade. Little things like that matter hugely in the context of global geopolitics or a sad meeting, the UAE and the monarchy in the UAE. These are huge developments. And and they're all relevant because it's not just about what the West is doing or, or should be doing or isn't doing. It's as much about what events are happening the other side of the world that are very, very significant. And the Middle East is a hugely important part of the world, not least because of the whole petrodollar with the Saudis in the 70s and how that's no longer relevant or plays any part in, in in pricing energy markets. These are all big developments. So we have to be kind of mindful of that. So we have to have looking almost everything simultaneously and trying to, and also making sense of things. So for me, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's a very, I'm very intrigued. I would do this for myself in perspective. Okay, I wouldn't have to go and structure podcasts and do that sort of thing, but I've always been interested in this ever since I had conversations with people who told me multipolarity is coming and whether the West likes it or not, doesn't matter. 
these are the broad implications. You'll be pleased we've told you. The only thing is now you'll just have insatiable curiosity to know what's happening and why it's happening. And that's certainly been the case. And it will be, and even when everything changes, there's a whole new world that will develop. And then it'd be interesting to observe those changes. And hopefully the United States will be a really positive force in a multipolar world and a great nation amongst equals. I've said it many times, but nothing would please me more than to see the US do that because if they can harness the good things about the United States and how it can be a responsible custodian, the world and the US will be a much better place for it. So we have to hope that happens. But sadly, at the moment, we're nowhere even remotely close to that happening. So unfortunately, we tend to be very savage in our criticism of the US, but it's justified. And it's got nothing to do with the USP. <laughs> Sometimes people think I have a downer on Americans. I don't. I have a downer on the American administration. Got nothing to do with American people. Well, I think you describe what's happening out there, and uh, you know, sometimes the news is what it is, and at least having an understanding of what's going on rather than the cheerleader view, I think, is helpful. And what most people are watching and listening appreciate. So, Paul, I sure appreciate everything that you do, and people can find you at theseriousreport.com and. Just want to wish you again a happy new year and certainly uh, it'll be interesting to see as these things continue to unfold this year and fortunately you give people a roadmap on what you're expecting and what is coming down the road and just thank you for all that you shared today and we'll be looking forward to catching up and doing this again soon, my friend. Yeah, thanks. And obviously, Happy New Year to you as well, Chris, and obviously to everyone listening. Well, thank you to Paul. Great, as always, to get his thoughts on the silver market in the midst of everything that is going on out there. Certainly a complex environment, although when you look through some of the things that are happening and see how they are playing out, it does seem as if we are headed towards the direction that he described. So hope you found that helpful at home. And I would like to thank Raina Silver, who brought us today's episode. Raina had some news out last week as they have completed their agreement to acquire a 100% interest in their Medicine Springs project in Nevada, where they did begin drilling earlier in the fall on a pause for the winter season, although they did have an agreement to acquire an 80% interest, have moved that up to a 100% interest as they've been encouraged by the results that they have found there. And we'll have drill results from there coming out early in the first quarter. Of course, that's in addition to their Gigi and Batopilas projects down in Mexico. Gigi, their flagship asset with a historic production of 460 million ounces of silver and Batopilas, which is also down there in the bottom of the map, former producer of 300 million ounces of silver, and that is being explored under the advisement of Dr. Peter McGaw. So now in addition to the Mexican assets, they do have that 100% interest in Medicine Springs, which we'll find out a little bit more about shortly. So thanks to Raina for bringing us today's show and to find out a little bit more about their projects. Well, just click on the video that's coming your way now.